You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. 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 Welcome to Redeemer. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 13. Uh, I am the lead pastor and the teaching pastor here at Redeemer. My name is Jason Hatch, and I just get the uh, uh, profound privilege of opening up God's Word this morning. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of backdrop to uh, Romans 13, and we will read it, and then we will jump in because we have got some work to do. Uh, today. Uh, the backdrop to the book of Romans, if you're brand new or joining with us uh, maybe for the first time in a while, uh, this is a letter written by God, by the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome um, that was made up of a lot of new believers. Many of them were Gentiles, meaning they were not Jewish, meaning they probably didn't even have the basic morality of Jewish people uh, coming out of very wildly different and crazy backgrounds, some very sinful, some very pagan, and all of these people had heard the gospel, responded to it, uh, and now belong to Jesus, and are, it, it's very, very messy to say the least. Uh, and I'll say this, uh, if there is the gospel of grace present, it's going to cause a mess. Uh, in fact, it's going to not cause a mess, it invites the mess, um, because if it's truly the gospel and it's truly about grace, it's going to bring in a lot of people from very colorful backgrounds, and that's really what a lot of the New Testament is about. We have most of the epistles, which are the New Testament letters to churches, because things were wildly messy. Uh, people were coming from all sorts of different struggles and sins and backgrounds and were believing in the grace of Christ. Uh, and so these letters are trying to teach people who have very colorful paths what it means to walk with Jesus. Uh, and if we're going to be a, a people of grace and truly uh, expound on the gospel, the good news that Jesus Jesus saves people, uh, it's going to be messy. Amen? It's going to be messy because you're here. Uh, it's going to be messy because I'm here. It's going to be messy because anybody's here, and that's what grace does. It welcomes in the mess. Um, the first part of Romans we talked about so many times, uh, it has to do with the gospel. This is how you become a Christian. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, repent and believe in the unmerited favor, the grace of Christ through faith that he saves to the uttermost. That's part one is how you become a Christian. And then part two is then how you live your life as a Christian. What does it mean now that we belong to Jesus? How should that change and radically change uh, my life, my habits, my beliefs? Uh, if we're going to be changed into the image of Jesus, then the second part of Romans is incredibly important. And this is what we're really in the thick of this part two in chapter 13. So first part of Romans, what does it mean to be in Christ? Second part, what does it mean to be like Christ? So if you want to be like Jesus, tune in, listen up, make some notes. Let's read this together. This is Romans 13, a lot of just like robust call to action. This is Paul saying, if you're in Christ, if you believe everything we've read about grace, then we have got some work to do. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. It will be here on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Are you all ready? Ready or not, here we go. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. That's pretty jarring language. Get up. You've been asleep for a while. Now there's no time for sleep anymore. For salvation is nearer. 
Salvation, it's closer, Paul says, to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The darkness, the night, things of our past, it's over, it's gone, and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, that's our past, all these things that we did and believed and thought before coming to Christ. Cast them off and put on the armor of light. Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Uh, And he's about to list six things, and they're going to come in pairs. That's the first pair. Uh, Not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is what Paul is talking about in these few verses that we're looking at today. If we embrace the gospel and if we're going to be transformed to look like Jesus, your life completely changed, renovated, renewed, redeemed, we're going to have to cast something off and put something on. You got to have you got to cast something from the old life off and put something new on. I want to show you a picture of my lovely children. They said, come outside, we have something to show you. And I walk out, if you've been around, you know they just randomly dig holes in the yard for no reason and then fill it up with water, make mud, and this is what I walked out to. And I thought, oh, this is great. Uh, We don't have grass anyway, so I didn't have anything to worry about. And uh, one of them said after this, they were posing for their picture. That's my daughter on the far left. She was very into it. Uh, They said, "Uh, we're going to need a new shirt that was their response after I walked out to this. I was like, well, you're going to need a little bit more than a shirt. You're going to need a power wash is what you're going to need. Like, you just can't put on a new shirt. What you need is to get rid of those filthy clothes. And if you're a parent, you know, you probably said that many times. Don't worry about trying to get, get, get new things on yet. You got to get rid of some old things. Just so you know, this is what we look like when you come to Christ. Amen? Messy sinful, all of us, every single one of us other than Jesus, we show up, we've got a mess, and Paul says, uh, listen, you don't have to clean anything up. Jesus died so that he will clean you up after you become a Christian. That's the gospel. Believe in what Jesus has done on our behalf by grace through faith. Now, we've got some work to do. You've got to cast some things off, get rid of the old clothes, the old ways, and through the grace of Christ and the present working power of the Holy Spirit, Put on some new things. Uh, six things, as I mentioned, he walks through here in pairs that we need to uh, cast off. Uh, and if we're honest, there, there's something in here to some extent for every single one of us. Okay, the worst thing that could happen with this sermon is for us to try to kind of maybe think about, I'm, I'm so glad so-and-so is here to, to hear this message. Uh, let's not play that game, right? Let's play the game of we're going to listen and invite the Holy Spirit to show us what it is that he wants to teach us that we can humbly believe and accept uh, and move forward so that we can be more like Jesus. The first round, the first pair he says is orgies and drunkenness. And if we're honest, the two go hand in hand. Normally, alcohol and bad decisions are Siamese twins, right? Rarely does somebody drink too much, get drunk, and do something very godly. As the great theologian Jim Gaffigan once said, Nobody went out and got drunk and then accidentally went out and built some low-income housing. It just doesn't happen. 
And he's like, be careful because when you're, when you're drunk, if you're given to alcoholism or to drunkenness, you're going to do wild, foolish things. Some of you, maybe that's your past. Maybe that's even your present. Paul says, great, cast it off. There's no room for that anymore in Christ. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, but I would say, uh, especially talking about drunkenness, uh, be careful. Uh, be careful with alcohol. I think alcohol is a major, uh, massive problem uh, in Midland, Texas. Uh, overly indulging in alcohol can be very dangerous. Please be careful. Um, number two, be honest. Uh, be honest. If you have a problem, be honest about it. Uh, if you're drinking too much, be honest. If you give somebody the freedom to be honest with you, listen to what they say. If they say that you might have more of a problem with alcohol than, uh, than you think, then uh, th th they might be telling the truth, and they might love you, and they might uh, want to help you. So be honest with uh, where you're at. Be honest with uh, the feedback even that you get. And then number three, uh, get some help. Get some help. A lot of you, this may be a struggle for you. Listen, this has been a struggle for people for centuries. The, uh, alcoholism and, and drunkenness has uh, caused many a problem, many a pain. The Bible talks about it often. Get some help reach out uh, is not something that you want to be walking through alone. He says, cast it off. That's uh, real quickly, number one. Number two, uh, the, the, the pair is uh, cast off sexual immorality and sensuality, which in the original language when Paul is writing, these are both plural things. They're both plural words, meaning uh, they're like both these big umbrellas that contain a lot of other things, and we'll get to this more on this uh, in just a minute. Uh, and then section three, the, the last pair that Paul mentions, it, it's relational. And this echoes back really to the sermon that we uh, listened to and walked through last week about love one another. He says, cast off quarreling and jealousy, the, the relational sins that cause strife between you. There's no room for that anymore if we follow Jesus, uh, cast it off. So that, that's the six things that he mentions. Um, full disclosure and a couple ground rules before I proceed through the sermon is we're going to spend most of our time looking at that second pair, uh, really that word sexual immorality. Uh, and a few rules I want to set is, uh, one, don't think about anybody else. There's always a, a temptation I think we have when you hear something like, again, I'm just, I'm so glad so-and-so is here to hear that. I would really invite you to think I'm so glad I'm here to hear this. Maybe there's something I need to know about God's forgiveness of sin in my past. Maybe there's something that I need to know uh, to live a wise life moving forward. Maybe there's something that I need to know as a parent that's trying to raise their kids in a very pagan and ungodly world. I would just really invite us to just invite the Holy Spirit to just very clearly speak to you speak to you, and I don't know uh, perhaps what that might be. Uh, and then second thing, by way of ground rules, is to trust that God, uh, He wants and He knows what's best. He wants what's best for you, and He knows what's best, so just simply trust Him, trust His Word, trust His commands, uh, and then just as we go, think through what is your humble response to God's word to you today. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's uh, trust in God's promises. Maybe it's uh, preventative and walking in wisdom. Maybe it does have to do with uh, encouraging someone else or training kids up. But uh, I would just, I think it would be very good and helpful for us if we could all walk into this uh, with those things in mind. Um, so number one, the first thing is we unpack this big idea. 
sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? And we've talked about it before. That that term uh, in the Bible and that idea is what I call a junk drawer term. It's a very big umbrella that encompasses anything that is uh, sexual sin. So, so this like covers a lot of different things. Any sexual behavior that is outside of the covenant marriage of a man and a woman, that's where, where God designed sex to function and to work and to be a blessing. Anything outside of that would fall under the category or in the junk drawer of um, that sexual immorality. Uh, a few other places in the Bible uh, go into more detail. Uh, they list a few things that uh, would fall underneath this category. Adultery would be one of them, uh, which is any type of sex outside of a marriage. Adultery fits under um, sexual immorality. Uh, fornication, which is any type of sex before marriage. You need to know that. That falls outside of God's divan, fits inside the junk drawer. Any type of lust or pornography, uh, which is uh, an internal thing in the mind, in the heart, uh, that fits in this junk drawer, uh, homosexuality, bestiality, incest. The Bible gives a lot of very clear uh, details about how humanity has twisted things. And so when the Bible talks about sexual immorality, it's including all of those things. Now, why are we talking about it? Some of y'all maybe are like, I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted an easy sermon to listen to, jot some notes down, get a mug and a t-shirt, wasn't expecting this. Uh, why are we talking about it? More importantly, a better question, why does the Bible talk about it so much over and over and over, why does this idea and this topic uh, keep coming up? You may say, it's kind of risky, Jason. Uh, you shouldn't be talking about this. Uh, it might make people uncomfortable. Can I just say, probably may be more uncomfortable for me than any of you, okay? It might be uncomfortable. Cool. Th that's not a reason not to talk about something. Uh, well, some people might get offended. People get offended at everything. It doesn't mean you can't say the truth, especially if it's a recurring theme in the Bible. Uh, so again, like there, maybe there's a temptation. You hear something in here that just kind of points to you like, oh, you might have some sin that this is talking about. you got two options. Humbly believe the gospel, confess, and have some renewal in life, or get offended. Let that sin continue and move on. So just laying that before you. Uh, and then uh, I'm sure the question comes up often, like, it's just kind of risky. Aren't there going to be uh, kids in the room? And I think, hear me on this, and I've prayed a lot about this this week. Yeah, is there some risk in talking about this? Sure. There is much, much more risk if we do not talk about this. Everyone else is talking about it. Agreed? Hollywood, not just talking about it, indoctrinating people on certain ethics, sex ethics. Um, social media, TikTok, Facebook, Everything is talking about it. Uh, schools, curriculum, teachers talking about it. Uh, government officials talk. Everybody is talking about it. It would be a disaster if everyone was chiming in this conversation except God's people and God's word. The word of God's people and the world in general need desperately to know what God says about this. 
not just what everybody else says about this, what all of uh, the friends at school have to say about this. So uh, is it risky? Yes, I think it is much, much more risky if we're silent on something that is so damaging and pervasive in our culture. So I, for one, just refuse to be silent about something that is talked about so clearly and so often in the Bible. There are Eight main lists in the New Testament that just go into detail naming a bunch of sins. Uh, if you want to get uncomfortable, uh, read these. Because I'm just telling you, unless your name is Jesus Christ and you're from Bethlehem, it's going to get you somewhere. That's the point. The point is, like, we're all sinners. Jesus is a Savior. There's not good and bad. There's bad in Jesus, right? There's eight main lists. Uh, Mark 7, Romans 1 and 13, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 1, and Revelation 21 uh, that go through a lot of detail about uh, sin. This is sin. And then, boom, here's some examples. Uh, I'm just going to read. I'm not going to read all of these, but I'm going to read three of them uh, for you. And you're going to find out just how brutally honest the Bible is and sometimes almost R-rated, the Bible is, because it's talking about real things that really happen. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, there it is, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, there it is, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, this is not the first time Paul talked about it with them, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, put to death pretty violent call to action. What is earthly among you? What is that, Paul? Sexual immorality. There it is. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. This is Paul's way of saying, if you find yourself in this list anywhere, and if you're honest, you will. He's saying, you're in good company. That's all of us. So like if you're thinking, uh, yeah, that's kind of talking about me. Uh, no, it's not talking about you. It's talking about us, all of us. At some point or another, something on that list, maybe most things, maybe all things, is our past. That's what Jesus is, died to forgive. And in Christ, we are learning to cast some things off and to put some things on. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Of those eight lists, there's a lot of sins. I tried this week to write them all down from every list. It was too long. My computer just shut down. There is only one that made every list. Guess what? It's not murder. Murder didn't even make the list every time. Sexual immorality is the only one that made the list every single time. Normally, it's the first one. Oftentimes, it's mentioned in multiple ways. Let me read what Kevin DeYoung, a pastor at uh, church in the Midwest, said. Uh, quoting Pastor DeYoung, he says, It cannot be overstated how seriously the Bible treats the sin of sexual immorality. 
Sexual sin is never considered a diaphora, which means a matter of indifference or an agree to disagree issue like food laws or holy days, which we'll get into next week. That's Romans 14. It's talking about like there's some open-handed issues you can agree to disagree. Sexual immorality is never treated as one of those. He continues, he said, to the contrary, sexual immorality is precisely the sort of sin that characterizes those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There are at least eight vice lists in the New Testament, and sexual immorality is included in every one of these. In fact, in seven of the eight lists, there's multiple references to sexual immorality, and in most of the passages, some kind of sexual immorality heads the list. You, should be hard, you would be hard-pressed to find any sin more frequently, more uniformly, and more seriously condemned in the New Testament than sexual sin. And I'll add this on. Yet this is the most common, marginalized, ignored, and celebrated sin in our culture. That's why we must talk about it. Why does... Does, does God seem to care so much about this? Why does Paul go out of his way to write to a bunch of brand new Christians with very colorful pasts uh, about their sexual lives? Like, why, why does he go out of the way to do that? Uh, is, uh, is he trying to ruin our lives? Uh, is he trying to steal all the fun? Or is there something different that he's trying to do that would cause him to talk about it so often? Uh, four, four thoughts that I want you to consider. We, we need to consider, like, why is this such a problem? thing in the New Testament? And why is the church maybe the rarest one to actually talk about it? Number one, maybe, and I don't know this for sure, like I, I know what the Bible says, but I, I don't know always, just like you don't know, we don't know the heart of God and why he says certain things, uh, why it's mentioned so often, so uh, we, can, we can think about it, we can ask some questions. Uh, maybe it's the most common sin and most common temptation among cultures, like if you go across planet Earth, almost every single culture, perhaps every single culture, will abuse sex in some way. Maybe, maybe it's because it's the most common among cultures. And so if Christians are called to live a different countercultural life, and this is a, uh, there's, there's a general sexual sinful flow to the culture, listen, if you are going to be faithful to Jesus and truly walk as a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be countercultural with this issue. Maybe it's because it's the most uh, common sin or temptation among cultures. Number two, maybe uh, it's the most common uh, sin or temptation among individuals. Uh, this is somewhat anecdotal, but uh, I can tell you this. I've sat down with a lot more people the last 20 years that had struggles with sexual sin than murder. It's just a true story. Like, what if this is just the one, the least common denominator that most individuals deal with? I just, maybe there's a lot of people that aren't, that are lying and actually are struggling with murder and I'm just not hearing about it. It's just not what I hear about most of the time. So maybe this is just like, all of us are tempted in this way. Maybe that's why the Bible talks about it this a lot. Number three, uh, and this isn't a maybe, this is a definitely, God loves you. He cares about your life. And he wants you to flourish. What, what if, and I, I tell my kids this often, like sometimes I only say certain things, I only give certain rules, and I only go out of my way to say things because I love them and want them to flourish. What if this is God's way of trying to help us see things 
the way he sees them, and it's actually the pathway to flourishing. Uh, Stephen Tracy, that I read a bit on this week, uh, said this, and I, I think this is what's behind the, the confusion, even among Christians, the confusion of trying to follow the uh, godly sex ethic. He says this, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a bit. Uh, One of Satan's most widespread and persistent lies is that God's commands are not in our best interest, and we must go outside of his commands to find joy and meaning and blessing. I think a lot of people struggle with this, and so they'll try to do an end around God's commands because they think, well, really, if I want a good life full of fun and blessing and joy and meaning, I can't just, God's rules are just too restrictive. Like, if I follow them, I'm not going to have a good life, and that's the lie that's been perpetrated since the beginning of time. That's the lie that uh, Satan fed to Adam and Eve in the beginning, and that's the lie that many people believe today. Uh, Let me quote, uh, this is actually Stephen Tracy quoting from a a 17th century uh, Puritan that I appreciate named Richard Baxter. He says this, God does not command us to honor him by telling us to do anything that would make us miserable. In other words, Tracy says... Obedience to God will always result in blessing, not boredom, happiness, not misery. He says this is true regardless of the subject matter, be it salvation or sex. God loves you, undebatable. God cares about your life and God wants you to flourish. And the pathway towards that is inside his commands, not around them. See, here's why we, 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 we bite on sin. Because sin offers something that meets an, a legitimate need or desire. We have a desire for intimacy, a desire for belonging, a desire for joy, a desire for meaning, whatever. That, that, that's a legitimate desire. And then when you have that desire, you have two options to go try to get that desire met and fulfilled. One is inside of God's commands and one is outside. And, and the, the reason we sin is because sin offers the answer to a legitimate need and then destroys it, takes it away. It always makes things worse, never fulfills, always uh, d- just destroys. And so, like, if, if we can just simply believe that God loves us, he's smarter than we are, his rules and commands are actually the pathway to true life and to joy and blessing, then it becomes easier to trust him. Number four, why... Why does God go out of his way to talk about this so much? Uh, is that sexual sin is very uniquely destructive. All sin is destructive. All sin damages things, hurts things, kills things. I'm not saying that sexual sin is any worse than any other sin, but the Bible does put it in a unique category, saying it has some very unique consequences and destruction that other sin doesn't. I'll read this from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 for you. Flee, which is Paul's way of saying, don't just be passive about this. Actively try to run away from this. What, Paul, what are we fleeing from? Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexual immorality, uh, but the sexually immoral person sins against his or her own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God, that you are not your own, you are bought with a price, and so glorify God in your body. 
Uh, just a quick illustration, I think, to see what's taking place in our culture, therefore what uh, options we have as followers of Jesus. Uh, fire. Fire is, it can be a good or a bad thing. Uh, fire is a very good thing if it's contained, right? This is why you have a fireplace to keep the fire, what? In its place. This is why we can't do what all my muddy children want to do and build a fire in the middle of the living room. They've asked multiple times, I'm like, that's not a good idea. You can't just build a bonfire in the floor. Uh, it needs to be contained because if the fire's contained uh, in the fireplace, it's good. Uh, provide some warmth to the house, some ambiance. You can uh, roast some marshmallows on it. It's like, it's a good thing when it's contained. Uh, if an ember gets out, gets uncontained, that's when it becomes destructive. Can burn the house down, can burn the neighborhood down, uh, can light a forest on fire. If it's contained, it's good. Sex is good if it's contained in God's design. God's design is a lifelong covenant of marriage between one man, one woman, and when it's inside of that containment, it is a blessing. It's incredible. It's unifying. It's uh, giving it's satisfying. It's just, it's just good. And when it gets outside of that containment, which I, I, don't have to, I don't have to make much of a case that that's what has happened in our culture. It is everywhere. It, it has jumped out of the fireplace. It does so much damage to people, to relationships, to souls, and to cultures. It's like a fire. When it's contained, it's great. When it gets out of control, it is disastrous. Think for just a second. Let me use this metaphor. Uh, just imagine with me. We got a drone's eye view uh, of, of, of a town. Uh, and the town, there's a few homes and it's snowing and everything. Like the fire's there, but the fire's contained. You look down, like little smoke coming out of every little chimney. Everything is peaceful. Everything is warm. Everything is safe. Um, that's when you look down on a culture and, thing, and the fire's in the fireplace. Imagine looking down on a different culture and the fire is out of the fireplace. Uh, th there's houses burning down. There's crops burning down. There's people being killed. Uh, there's livestock being burned. Like, those are two very different pictures. The picture of a, a culture where sex is inside of the containment uh, is one. And our, our culture is a picture of the other side. Let me walk through a few of these things and really kind of show you where this, where this has come from. Our culture, the culture we live in, has violently rebelled against God's design and his containment for sex. Violently. And this is really, the, it's the logical end to, to the worldview that our culture has. If we have a secular worldview or an atheistic worldview, uh, in some ways this is uh, very Darwinian. If you follow uh, these to their logical end... You get what we have because this is what happens. This is the worldview of uh, most of our the culture that, that we live in, and we're trying to be salt and light in. Uh, re completely rejected God's design for sex. Just don't believe it, don't like it, think it's restrictive if they believe in God at all. Uh, have uh, believed that our body is just an amoral mass of cells. Uh, there's no moral value. There's no soul. We're just uh, bio biologically a big clump of cells that's just trying to survive. And so, therefore, try to divorce sex uh, it, physically with any kind of emotion because it's just something we do biologically. It has nothing to do with relationships or emotion or your soul. We try to divorce that and treat sex in a certain way that is just wreaking havoc on people. 
It's, it's, it's selfish. It's not serving. It's what I get, not what I uh, give. It's just trying to get our biological needs met. And this is what it has produced in our culture. Give, give me some grace as I walk through these because I, want to, I don't want to cast judgment anywhere. Please believe me. I do want to show you how damaging to people in a culture disobedience to God's design is. Uh, abortion. Most of the babies that have been innocently killed have been killed because people have violated God's commands and it's gotten outside of the fireplace. Not all, but most. Tens of millions. And if you're looking down from the drone, you could say, well, that's, that's a lot of destruction. Uh, STDs. Not all of them, most of them are the result of sex being outside of the fireplace. Uh, emotional brokenness, emptiness, feelings of uh, worthlessness, uh, feelings that were unwanted or that were like an item. Much of the pain that many people feel and have endured is a result of the fire getting out of the fireplace. Uh, deep scars, deep wounds, things like, I thought he loved me, I thought she loved me, I thought they were committed, those things that carry in there. They're very deep and very hurtful and very harmful. Most of them, not all, are a result of this. Uh, sexual addiction, the porn addiction, the effects of that in our culture, most of those are a result of this getting out of the fireplace. Uh, single parent situations, not all, and please listen to me. Some of you are struggling through. You're doing your best. This is your situation. I'm zooming out and just saying the effects in our culture of a lot of kids growing up in single family homes, a big portion of that is the effects of it being outside of the fireplace. Again, all of us are guilty at some point or another. I'm trying to make the case that if the fire gets out of the fireplace and we don't listen to God's commands, there is destruction. It is uniquely destructive. God's design. If that's our, our culture and that's kind of where, where we've come and just the logical end to this atheistic, humanistic, Darwinian view of life. And I want to show you a few ways I think, again, you, you know this, I'm not giving you a lot of new information today. The, the an ungodly view of sex has wildly dominated our culture. Uh, we do a lot of premarital counseling uh, at Redeemer. Uh, some of those, uh, and my wife and I really get the incredible privilege of walking people through. And oftentimes, uh, much more than 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, people will show up and they're, uh, they're living together and they're going to get married. And I'll just say, hey, it's just it's sinful. It's not a good idea. If you want to really uh, obey God and, and follow Jesus and have the best shot of blessing, you need to not have sex until you get married and, and move out. And they'll look at me like I'm from another planet. They're like, oh, oh, kind sir, where have you been? Things have changed. I'm like, yeah, but not for the better. It's like, well, you don't know how expensive it is. Well, I know how expensive sin is. Sin is very costly. Like, it's, just, it's so permeated. It's like people can't even think that we would still believe that God knows what he's doing and he wants us to, to flourish. Uh, a New York Times study, uh, I don't have to go into all of this, I don't have time for it, but uh, was talking about this hookup, shackup, breakup culture that we now live in that has thrust aside God's commands, the fire's out of the fireplace, uh, and they said this, I thought this was interesting, coming from the New York Times, it says, quote, everyone talking about especially young people who have bought into this Everyone is dissatisfied and hurting, but they can't admit it. It says, 
and they had researched a lot of different information in the U.S. and interviewed a lot of different young people, and they said that there was this common uh, feeling where if you admit that you wanted more in a relationship than just to shack up biologically, and then, then you were labeled as needy, clingy, dependent, or you weren't feminist enough. And so, like, this New York Times study said, it's not working, it's destroying everything, but nobody will, will admit it. Nobody can say anything. I want to quote Nancy Piercy, uh, who's written a fantastic book um, that includes some things about this. She brilliantly says, hookup culture is ruining people's abilities to have meaningful, lasting relationships. They aren't learning relationship skills, but they are sabotaging them from the beginning. They're engaging in physical relations with no emotional attachment. It's very damaging. The hookup culture is soulless. No relationship, no soul, no commitment, no exclusivity, no love, no serving others, no intimacy. And, and Nancy Piercy makes the claim that our culture following an atheistic worldview, it's colliding with our, our souls and God's design. And at some point we have to realize that it doesn't work for human flourishing. She says this, young people are trying to live out a worldview that does not match their true nature, meaning you can't separate the, the physical from the emotion and just treat it like it's a biological thing. It, it doesn't work that way, and if you treat it that way, it's going to cause some, some deep wounds and some deep damage. And so she says, young people are trying to live out a worldview that does not match their true nature, and it's tearing them apart with its pain and with its heartache. And I will say this to parents in the room, you need to talk about this early and often with your kids. This is not just a one-time conversation where you have the talk. If you, hear me on this, parents, we believe you're the primary disciplers of your kids, if you are going to out-disciple the culture on this, you've got to be engaged early and often or they will out-disciple you. The culture is, they've discipled the masses, hundreds of millions of people to a very wildly different worldview. They've done it quickly. They've done it effectively. Is it possible to be faithful as Christians in this culture? Absolutely. There are faithful Christians in Babylon, but you've got to be early, often, disciplers of your children. Uh, here's, here's the problem, and I'll, uh, I'll bring it back around to the end of Romans 13. The, the problem is not that our culture has too high a view of, of sex. It's, it's precisely the opposite. Have way too low a view of sex, of how valuable it is, how important it is, even the human body. That, I mean, that's why Paul says, listen, if you're a Christian, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, and the price was what? It was very expensive. And so Paul says, so therefore, honor God with your body. Somebody needs to hear this. You're more valuable than you think. Your body's more valuable than you've been told. Oftentimes, the word that's translated Sexual immorality, I don't believe it's in Romans 13, but most other places is the word pornea, which you recognize. And the root word of that uh, has to do with the slave trade and somebody being treated like a piece of meat, bought and sold like an item. 
That's the essence of sexual immorality. It's not, not too high a view by any means, too low a view. We don't know the value and the worth that's God, that God's put, not just on your soul, but your body, relationships, sex. Back to Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. I want to read it again, and I want you to think about Paul talking to just a group of people that had a lot of messy messy past, messy situations, all sorts of sin, very messy, all trying to follow Jesus together. He's going to say, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to cast some things off. You have to put some things on. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is gone. It's far gone. And the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Cast off. What does that mean? If you're like, I, I believe this, I want to do it, I don't know where to start. Cast off your sin. What does that mean? It means confess your sin. And, and the word confess, very simply, the, the, the prefix con means, means with. It means to agree with. To agree with God that sin is sin and the sin is, sin is damaging. Okay, a agree with God. Pray, confess, confess your sin. Repent. That means to turn from. Like, hey, this, is, this was my old way of living. Not, 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 not anymore. Not, not that there's no place for that old life of mine in following Jesus. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent and turn from it. Uh, receive. Listen, you need to hear this. There's grace. There's mercy. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's restoration. Just like any sin, sexual sin, Jesus has come to fix things, put them back together, restore the years the locusts have taken away. That's what he does. And, and I promise you that's offered to you. If you confess, agree with God, repent, turn from it, just simply receive and believe God's grace, forgiveness, restoration, mercy, redemption, uh, and then begin to uh, have a life where you, you just constantly are putting sin to death. I heard this uh, analogy this week. Uh, Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in our network, uh, was talking about if you, uh, if you had a small bear, which I doubt many of you do, uh, I think it would be awesome to have a little bear cub. Let's just say you have a bear cub that lives in your house. Like, there's only two options for that thing. In the, like, to just kind of think it's going to be a bear cub forever, uh, not going to happen. One of two things is going to happen. It's going to grow up and destroy your house, or it's going to die. That's it. Sexual sin is the same way. Like, oh, I kind of got it under control. No, you don't. No, you don't. You either, it either grows up and destroys things or you take it out back and shoot it. Like you either put sin to death, and I forget who said it, but you be putting sin to death or, or, or what, is it, what does it say? I wrote it down. Be killing sin or what? Or sin will be killing you. It's your only two options. Get serious about putting sin to death. Cast off. Cast off the old ways. Cast off the old sins. And then Paul says, put on Christ. Listen, it's not enough to run from something. Like if you're just trying to avoid sin, it's just not going to work. It, it, you, it's not enough to run from something. You have to run to, you have to, run to Jesus. Like to, to obey Jesus, to love Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to run to him. That's part of what it means to put on Christ. To yeah, flee from something, 
but, but run to something else. You can't just get rid of something. You have to replace it. If you spend all of your time trying to not sin, what are you going to do? <laughs> Probably sin. <laughs> so we try to spend our time knowing and obeying Christ. Cast something off, put something on, embrace Christ, trust Him, love Him. I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion to remind us that He has made that possible. Where you are, let me invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes. Father, we love you. I thank you for speaking into things that affect our lives and our families and for speaking with love and with clarity. And Holy Spirit, I, I pray as I often do that you would do something that uh, none of us can do, um, that your spirit would get down into the deepest places of our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would help us, truly help us to believe in your goodness, to believe that your rules are designed for our joy and to trust your heart, to obey you, Father. Uh, there's no doubt some difficult things that have been brought up in our hearts. I pray that the blood of Christ will speak a better word. God, that you would truly redeem that you would truly allow your grace to be felt. Father, I pray that we are a countercultural people that offer a better way of life than the way that the world offers. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your mercy. Thanks for your presence this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.